great, really, really great to be with you here this morning. If you have your Bible and you want to turn uh, to Mark chapter 10, um, just a huge thank you to Neil for the invite to be here. We've really loved, uh, I suppose, the last couple of years, uh, just getting to know Neil a bit, and uh, in the last year or so, just getting to know some of the other leaders in, in the church here. It's really, really nice for me as well to be here this morning, and uh, sort of a new fellowship with Mrs. Dawson being here as, as well. So it's lovely, lovely just to be with you. Uh, as, as Neil said, uh, we're in Portadown, Elam. We've been in Portadown, Elam now uh, seven years uh, it seems like such a long time now. We're originally from East Belfast, and uh, we now just love living in Portadown in this county, and we do believe that God really does want to move by his Spirit. And I hope what we're going to share this morning uh, will encourage us to do that. Mark chapter 10, verse 46, and it says, Now they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, a blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So when they warned him to be quiet, he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stopped, stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man saying to him, be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and says to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I might receive my sight. Jesus says to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. As, as Neil has said already, uh, our daughter's here, she's out in, in crash here. Mate, this is our, it's our wedding anniversary today, actually. We're married 12 years today, so this is going to different church. It's like going on a date this morning, uh, so it is. And, and Livy, Livy's way out to crash there. We have another son, Joel, uh, he's nine. But Livy will be four um, this, this week. And uh, I can remember back, uh, it'll be her birthday on Thursday, I can remember back to when she was just born in between, in between Joel and Libby having that bit of a gap, or that six-year gap. Uh, it was like when we were becoming parents for the second time, it was like we'd forgot everything. I don't know if you experienced that when you had your second child. It was like we forgot the how, to, how to look after a newborn. We were um, probably more cautious, or at least I was, the second time round rather than the first time round. And, and what happened was the midwife came to the, our house a few days after Libby was born. And the midwife said something that I felt was really, really profound. Um, the midwife had came. I know the way you kind of, they always come at it, the bad time, the unexpected time. The midwife had come and they were just talking through stuff with us. And the midwife said this. She says, you have to work out why your daughter's crying. So you have to work out, is it because your daughter needs fed? Is it because she needs changed? Is it because she needs held? You, as parents, you have to be the people who work out what the different cries are for. Now, immediately as she's saying this, I'm thinking of all of these spiritual parallels in my mind as to what does that mean? You know, nearly to the point where I'm thinking, should I be taking notes here? That, that, that she's saying something very, very profound spiritually. She's saying, as parents, you are the ones who discern the cry of your daughter. You're the ones who can work out what each of the individual cries are for. You're the ones who will take that step back and say, I know what they need. I am the one who can translate the cry. I am the one who can translate the, 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 the tears. I am the one who can do all of those things as a father or as parents to know what the cry is. And I began to think about that and, and, and began to think about that around intercession, that 
God the Father is the one who discerns our cries. God the Father is the one who is the discerner of all of our cries because there could be so many ways that you and I would cry out to God. There'd be times when you and I would cry out to God out of sheer frustration. There'd be times that we would cry out to God out of impatience. There'd be times when you and I would cry out to God and we actually ask him for something and, and, and only hindsight would show that we're really, really glad that he didn't do that thing because he's a good father and he discerns the cry of our heart. He discerns our cries and he knows what we are crying out for. There's times when you and I come to God and really our cry, our cry is sometimes just feeling sorry for ourselves. It, it, it's licking our wounds and sometimes, and, and God our Father knows how to discern our cries. But as we think about this story that we're chatting about from Bartimaeus, that we begin to think, is there a cry? Is there a cry that you cry and I cry? Is there a cry that we cry out before God our Father? The kind of cry that, like in this story, the kind of cry that always gets him just to stop the cry that gets his attention, the cry that makes the Lord stop where we are and come and answer us. Is there a cry of desperation? Is there a cry that is beyond everything else? A cry of absolute desperation that could lead to breakthrough, that could lead to a miracle. A cry where you and I know that we get his attention. You know, if you're, if you're taking notes or anything, this story, one of the most remarkable things about the story is actually that the Lord Jesus just stopped with him. That he cried loud enough that the Lord would just stop. It's the thought of no matter what we're going through, that if you and I cry before, he'll just stop where we are. That he would come right to us. That the Lord comes to him. And Bartimaeus has this cry of desperation. This cry where nothing else will do, but Jesus must stop with him. It's not a, it's not a momentary thing. This is, this is not something he's just feeling in that moment. This is years and years of, of, of hurt and pain and frustration. And he lets this cry out. A cry from the inside. A cry where, where deep calls on to deep. A cry that comes with all of our heart, with all of our passion, with all of our desire. That kind of a cry that comes before the Father. And the Father discerns it. And the Father knows why we are crying out. If any of you have ever read George Mueller and his story, you know, the guy who opened uh, many orphanages in and around Bristol area, You'll read about how when he came to faith that he says that he was a gambler, he was a drunk, and he was in a prayer meeting one night and a man got down on his hands and knees and prayed. He can't remember what the man prayed. What the man prayed wasn't anything profound that brought him to the Lord. It was the man's kneeling. He says in that moment, that man knelt and every muscle, every fiber in his body worshiped God. And that was what brought him to faith. It was the action of that man. And is there a kind of cry that comes not just from, not just from we've, 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 we've sang some songs or not just from we've had a nice meeting or not just from we've had a nice talk, but something that comes like right from, right from our bowels, right from the depths, right from within us, that we've been carrying it and we bring it before the Lord. That kind of a cry, that kind of an intercessory cry uh, that would get the Lord's attention where we know that the Lord must stop with us and the Lord will answer. He... Um, is the discerner of our cries. This story that we've read of Bartimaeus, this story is an example of what can happen when you and I are desperate enough. When you and I feel desperate enough before God, this story is an example of what can happen when you and I push past what might be man-made protocols and things like that. And we come before Jesus, and we cry out to him. This story tells us if you're not desperate enough, you don't get it as well. It's Jim Zimbala at Brooklyn Tabernacle. He says, if you, can, if, if you can live without a move of God, then you won't get one. But if it's in your spirit, I remember from a young age, from, from 18, 19, six or seven of my friends, and, and most of them are, are, are Elam pastors. Now, Elam must have went through a stage where a real lack of choice. They all got in. We all got in somehow. And um, 
Six or seven of us, about 20 years ago, and we used to get together and we used to pray for revival, pray for the outpouring of the Spirit. It lives within us. There's something, there is, there is something within me, there is something within me that says, Lord, if, if you're not going to pour out your Spirit in our days and, and where we are, if you're not going I'd, 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 I'd rather not do it. I, I just I live for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Yes, we do church and we, we do all of those things week to week and week to week and we'll continue to do that, but we live for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We live for greater days when God will pour out his spirit and moved by his power and we're we're not content to live without that and this story says like for Bartimaeus this story says to anybody here today says to all of us this story says this is what can happen this is what can be restored whatever is lost can be restored whatever has been taken from you whatever has been stripped from you whatever has been taken away from you that if you get desperate enough it can be restored and it can be given back to you and scripture always teaches that when God gives you something back he gives it back maybe fourfold or fivefold what it was The story teaches us that if you're hungry enough, God can meet us in ways that will blow our expectations. Here's Jesus walking through or coming close to Jericho. Jericho was the city that Herod had made his palace in and and Herod had filled the whole city with all of these beautiful gardens and these these flowing fountains and and all of these things. And, uh, And then on this day, there's a king who brought to the city more than just hanging gardens and fountains and waterfalls. Here's a king who walks in with healing power. And yet it's only the desperate one who gets the miracle. What did he cry out for and what was he desperate for? Well, Bartimaeus was desperate for sight. He wanted his sight back. I think we all need our sight back in some way, but he was desperate for sight. What are you hungry for this morning? What are you designed for? As the songs that we sang, as Neil has said, and a lot of a lot of what's already been said this morning, all links. I'm hungry, desperate for the presence of God. I have made it my my goal in life that no matter what our vision is, no matter what our church does, no matter what, we we will we will take the presence of God above everything else. We will sacrifice anything for the presence of God. Presence of God is our priority, our number one priority. Presence of God in our lives, presence of God in our meetings. Everything else is second place to the presence of God. A couple of things we learned from the story. The first thing is about timing. This story is absolutely about timing for lots and lots of reasons. See, desperate people and people who are really, really hungry for God, they won't miss their moment of opportunity. In fact, the very, very hungry and the very desperate people will make moments of opportunity. Jesus is passing this way. He's coming through Jericho. He, he won't come that way again. He will not physically walk that same road again. This is the last time he'll be in that location, on that street, around that beggar. This is the last time. And this man will not miss his moment of opportunity. If it wasn't that day, it was going to be no day. It had to be on that day. Jesus was on his way to his death. And Bartimaeus had heard the stories. People probably talked to him about Jesus and what Jesus had done. Bartimaeus had heard all of the stories. And on this day, as Jesus walks past, Bartimaeus is sure in his heart that this is his moment. This is his, this is his Kairos moment. This is his moment of moments. This is the moment that won't come again. This is the moment that he has to have. Greg Haslam says that, that God, God is rarely found by accident. He's found by believers by intention that we go after him. People must seize the opportunity. People must seize the day. People must cry out to him. People must be desperate before him. That when Jesus comes close, that when he comes close to you and I, how will we respond? Will we let him walk past? Would we cry out to him? We would be desperate for his presence. Do you know, I I hear a lot of people say, and I've said it as well, um, I hear a lot of people say and pray, 
and talk about healing when it comes to healing. God will heal in his own time. God will heal in his own time. I think, really? Is that what scripture teaches? Because let's think about it, just a few. The woman with the issue of blood. Read, read the gospels. Does it seem as though Jesus has any intention to heal her that day? No. She comes desperate and she takes hold of him and she receives her miracle. Even though it didn't seem to be in the plan or what was going to happen. It's like, it's not the best wording, but it's like her desperation. It nearly brings this kind of demand or this claim on the healing power of God. It draws healing power from him. The man on the stretcher who comes down from the roof. If people had to say God will heal in his own time, he'd never get healed. Sure he wouldn't. He gets dropped down before the Lord because of his friends being so desperate for his healing. The woman whose daughter um, was, was afflicted by a demonic spirit, she comes and she keeps coming back. And scripture teaches us, the gospels teach us many, many times actually, that it's not just about God will heal on his own time. It's about God's people getting into a place where they're hungry enough, where they're desperate enough, where they're persistent enough where they will not miss their moment, they will not miss their kairos moment. They understand the timing of Jesus passing by. You know what I always wonder about? Always, we talk about it, and I, I, I do it in our church. I, I was brought up, and I'm, uh, spiritually, my, my pastor, who became my boss in the first church I was in, he didn't see when we prayed, and it was a prayer meeting, he didn't allow. It's like one person had to pray, and then the next person had to pray. And if you didn't, he would stand up, and he would tell everybody off. And he'd say, no big gaps in the prayer meeting, no big gaps in the prayer meeting. And he, he, he kind of meant just one person pray after another, after another, after another. And what he was trying to teach us, it wasn't always the best wording, and it wasn't always the best way, but what he was trying to teach us was, that when it comes to praying for something in need, don't be passive. Get some spiritual stamina. Because you know what I find? I'm exactly the same. We give a prayer request out and we can pray for a minute or two. We can pray for a minute or two. We can pray for three minutes, four minutes, five minutes. But getting some spiritual stamina where we really go after something, where we really stick with something until we have breakthrough. That's why I love going to Africa. That's why I love African brothers and sisters who teach us about, about, about prayer and teach us, teach us about how to and have all-night prayer meetings and I usually go to bed halfway through them. They get, kind of just keep going and keep going after that same thing until they get breakthrough. If I am completely honest, I have found so many prayer meetings and so many prayer times very unfulfilling. And you might say, well, Ross, it's not about you. And I understand all that. But I've found so many prayer times unfulfilling unsatisfactory in my heart and life because there's no life it's, it's we're not getting we're, we're not really going after anything we're not we're never we're never heading the nail on the head i wonder if there's a if there's a chance even this morning for you and i to come and say we lay aside all all any kind of laziness any kind of complacency I remember a few, a few years ago when we tried to inject some intercession and it changed in the life of our church, but inject more intercession. That we were, I was just praying one day and I, and I had, this, had this picture of a man getting ready. He was putting a suit on and he had his briefcase and he, started, he came out the door and he started to walk. He started to walk with real intention and real purpose. And I kind of said to myself, Lord, what's this mean? I, I, I don't get it. Is this nothing? Is this just me? Is it you? What does it mean? And, and this is what I felt the Holy Spirit says to me. This man means business. He's ready to go and do business. 
I had to bring that to our church and say, see, when we come to prayer here tonight, I know, yeah, we'll sing. Yeah, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll pray for some things. Yeah, we'll thank the Lord, we'll do all. But listen, see, when it comes to praying for these dear people who are sick, see, when it comes to praying for our town, see, when it comes to praying for, for the Lord, we have to mean business. We have to really go after God. We have found that's helped us. We have found, as we have prayed for the sick, this doesn't sound like much, okay, but, but we're pleased about it. Um, <laughs> We, have, uh, I, we used to have prayer lines in our church. Probably 70 or 80 people come for prayer. And we still do that every now and again. 70 or 80 people come for prayer. Do you know what we see at the moment? This is, we're un- underestimating it so that never to boast. We see about 5% of those 70 or 80 people healed. Now you might say, Ross, that's not very good. <laughs> it's 5% more than used to get healed. <laughs> we used to pray for all these people and nobody got healed. But since we started to be more intentional and go after God, we've seen more and more of God's healing power break out. We see more and more. I carry it in my spirit. Carry it in my spirit that the Lord's bringing us to a place where we can walk into a meeting and I can be absolutely sure 10% of people, between 10 and 10, 20% of people are going to be healed that day. God, God's given that into our spirit. That you and I have to be people who cry out to God, who are desperate for God. It's, in this story, you will see that if the man doesn't cry out, Jesus passes by. And if you and I don't cry out, if the church doesn't cry out, the Lord will pass by. The Lord could absolutely bypass a church with the move of his spirit. God could absolutely bypass whole denominations with the move of his spirit. If people don't want it, if people aren't desperate for it, if people aren't ready, if people are too passive, what happens usually is then when God starts to move somewhere else then and he's not moving in our church that we become cynics of what's happening all around us. And, there, and there's these verses, you'll find it in, in Luke 18, it's the parable of the unjust judge and she, the, the woman just keeps coming and crying out and crying out and crying out and, and then he grants her a request and here's what it says, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on the earth and everybody I did as well everybody thinks that's a reference to the second coming when the Lord comes back in a second coming will he find faith on the earth it's not it's not a reference to the second coming it's when the Lord comes in his power even to a gathering like this when the Lord comes to us now will he find faith will he find people who are ready will he find people who want uh, to, to know the moving of his spirit the second thing is, the story's first about timing. Second, the story is about courage. Uh, absolutely about courage. Many people had told Bartimaeus that he had to be quiet. He had to quieten down. They rebuked him and they said to him to be silent. They tried to silence him. This is what the Phillips translation says, one translation of the Bible. It says, as Bartimaeus sat in his usual place. He sat in his usual place of begging. He sat in his usual place that the law said he could sit in. As long as he sat in his usual place, as long as he kept quiet sitting in his usual place, as long as he was over there in his usual place, not making any noise, not annoying anybody, everybody was fine with that. He kind of thought, like prophetically, that's been a bit of something that's been said to the church. As long as the church sits in its usual place, as long as it sits there in the corner, as long as it keeps quiet, as long as it doesn't rise up, as long as it doesn't try and get involved in society and culture around us, as long as the church sits in its usual place. But as soon as the church begins to rise up, as soon as it begins to cry out, as soon as all of that happens, all oh, people become critics and even people within Christian circles become critics. It's just like the enemy wants the church. Sit in your usual place. 
sit in the same place. But you know and I know the usual place the church is sat in hasn't done much for our country. Sure, it hasn't. hasn't brought much change to our land. If the church just stays in its usual place, if the church just opens the doors and has the same amount of people come in and go home every week and never does anything in the community around it, if the church just sits in the usual place, the enemy would be really, really happy about that. But the Lord's trying to say, get out of the usual place. The usual place isn't working. It's never worked. It's time to get into the unusual place, the place where you cry out for the miraculous power of God, where you get out of that position where he was just sitting there taking these handouts and begging all the time. It's now time for the church to rise up in the place that it should be and to cry out to him. The church can't sit in its usual place because the usual place doesn't bring any church growth. The usual place means that we only reach those few people around us. And like Bartimaeus, you and I have to be sure in our hearts that we are not going to be silenced, that people aren't going to come and tell us just to be quiet somewhere. It's a generalization, I know, to say it, but I'm pretty sure every church, most churches, is this, that, that I have seen it in churches that I've visited, and especially within our denomination, that the fear of man is gripping churches and people in churches. This was highlighted to me, I suppose, last year. I'm not getting into the politics of this, the rights or wrongs of any of this. But it was highlighted last year, the year before, with the incident when Pastor McConnell had got up and he'd preached and, and, and that had offended a lot of people in the court case and all of that. And as I was trying to work through some of that in my mind, again, I'm not going to get into the politics of it, as I was trying to work through in my mind, and, and this is, on one hand, this is what I thought. From your pulpit, surely you're allowed to say whatever you want and you shouldn't be restricted. And it was like the Holy Spirit said this to me. It's like the Holy Spirit says, but Ross, that's been happening for years and years. Not by society around us. Is that there's pastors and preachers who we get up every week and we don't say what's really on our heart, not because of fear of people out there, because of fear of people who sit in the seats. There's pastors and preachers who are afraid to challenge their people. There's pastors and preachers who have been held back from saying what they really want to say and what they really, really feel God is saying because of fear of man. And that's what that whole incident highlighted for me, that we can't be people who live according to the fear of man, that we must be courageous, that we can't be people who are afraid of offending those few people, those few people who will get upset. And Bartimaeus was criticized. He was too much. He was too passionate. He was, he was too fanatical. There's, there's nobody going to blame us for being too fanatical. So there isn't we could do with a little bit more. Jesus comes in. He cleanses the temple. And what's the verse he quotes from Psalm um, 69? Uh, he doesn't quote it. The disciples quote it of him. He says, zeal for your house has eaten me up. This passion, this zealousness. Do you know when Joshua takes the children of Israel into the promised land? Do you know the space that they're allotted? That, that, one, that, that one study of actually the space and the land that God gave them and the land that they actually inherited and took, it's only 10%. They only took 10% of what God was promising them. 10%. You don't want to be part of a 10% generation, so you don't. You don't want to be part of God, we only, we only took 10% of what you promised us. You promised us all of these things. You spoke these prophecies. You said this stuff. And we only went after and got 10% of it. We need to be courageous. We need to be courageous for what God wants to do. We need to be courageous 
We need to trust God. We need to cry out for the move of his Holy Spirit. Been deeply challenged by, that, by it this week as well. Um, David Legg was preaching for us at, a, at an event we were at and um, just challenging us again that no matter what way God comes and what he does, no matter what it looks like, will we be people who will accept the moving of his spirit. Remember the story in the Gospels where the, the, the demoniac man is healed and here, the people in the city, they say, we've never seen it like this before. It's, we've never seen this. Never. That's what God does, doesn't he? And we have to be courageous. And this is the day of, of, of courageous leadership. I can encourage you as a church, for your leaders here, for, for Neil and all of the leaders here, you want them to be courageous leaders. You want them to be people who, who, will, not, who will take you into more than 10%. People who you will be completely behind as they push forward and as they call you into the vision uh, that God has for this church. And the last thing is intercession. Uh, it's about timing, it's about courage, and it's about intercession. This man cries out with desperation. He borders on the rude and the aggressive. There's a, slight, there's a slight use of the Greek that we don't fully get when we read it. And it means, the slight, the slight change in the Greek in the original is that Bartimaeus is saying, I, actually, I must have what I desire. I have to have it. I absolutely have to have what I desire. I'm going to keep crying out until it happens. I believe absolutely that our churches, and we've heard it already in lots of different ways this morning, and from David too, our churches must be houses of intercession. They must be places of prayer. Again, when Jesus cleansed the temple, he says, my house will be called a house of prayer. Not, not, he didn't say a house of teaching. He didn't, he didn't say, uh, he says a house of prayer. There's many, many things that we do in the house of God. And there's many, many things that the church does, uh, but a house of intercession, a place of intercession. And what I, what I think as well, and you've heard this probably from other people, and if you haven't heard it from other people, it's because they're wrong. No one's joking. Uh, if, you haven't, if you haven't heard it from other people, you'll start to hear it from other people, that this is the revelation that Jesus Christ is bringing to the church. And if, if you believe in, in the second coming, you believe that the Lord's coming, or sorry, you believe that the Lord's coming back soon, that the last move of the Spirit that I can see from Scripture anyway, the last move of the Spirit of God that will happen, and it will be a global move of the Spirit, is a move of God in intercession. Now this is happening all around the world. We're just very, very slow at picking it up. This is happening through houses of prayer, through prayer movements right across the world and other countries. There is a move of intercession. God's people coming together and interceding in a way that's kind of unprecedented all, all around the world or in history. It's the revelation that Jesus is bringing to not just his church. It's the revelation that he's bringing to what is the bride of Christ. You'll hear, you will hear more and more about this in the coming days. You will hear more about teaching of the church being the bride of Christ because he's getting us ready for his return. You will hear more and more teaching on intercession because it's what the Lord is doing all around the world. And, and how do I know? It's because what the book of Revelation says, Re- Revelation 12, Revelation 21, it says that the spirit and the bride say, come. That's the revelation. It's the, and, and, and what does that mean? The Holy Spirit and the church, the bride say, come. They're crying out for Jesus to come. And it doesn't just mean in the second coming. It means come to us and visit us. We all want God to do that. Come and visit us. 
It also means come to us in revival. Come to us in more than just a personal visitation. Come to us in a, in a dwelling upon our land and a dwelling upon our towns and our cities and our villages. Come to us in that sense. And then it means come to us in your second coming. And it's the Spirit and the bride saying it together. What does that mean? Does that mean the Holy Spirit is praying for the Lord Jesus to come and the church is praying for the Lord Jesus to come? No, it means that the Holy Spirit inside the church, inside us, is producing this cry. This is the end time move of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit within the church is producing a cry for Jesus to come and revive us again. Jeremiah says in in Jeremiah 14 or somewhere around the whole book of Jeremiah. um, This way he says, you come to us. You come to us. And the King James says it this way. You come to us as a wayfaring man, a journeyman. And what it means is you come to us for a night. You just come and you're here for one night and we love it. So good. But we want more than Jesus just coming to us on one Sunday morning. We want more than Jesus just coming to us here and there. We want Jesus to come upon our town. We want Jesus to come upon our towns and villages. We want Jesus to come upon our nation. And as the church rises up and its bridal identity and that we take our place, just like Esther coming in before the king, we take our place, we come in before the king and we cry out, would you come to us? It's the most common prayer that I pray, the most frequent prayer that I pray. I wish my prayer language was so much more extensive, but the most common prayer I pray is, come, Lord Jesus, come, Holy Spirit. People come for prayer all the time. We love to end services and meetings with people coming for prayer. People come for prayer. And I wish I had more to pray over. Just come, Holy Spirit. You come. You come afresh to us. It's this global move of the Spirit that is happening. And Tozer called it, he, he, he wrote a book about it and preached a couple of sermons about it years and years ago. And, and the book is called Revival is Born After Midnight. Born, and, it, and it doesn't mean that you have to stay up late to pray. Although, if you're like me, you find that a lot easier than getting up early in the morning. Early morning prayer meetings are tough for me. Late night prayer meetings starting about 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock at night. Love those prayer meetings. Um, revival is born after midnight. It means, it means a sense of desperation. As midnight, midnight is the, the coming towards the end. It's people coming and really, really seeking him. And I believe, this is why I said to you earlier about us seeing little bits of breakthrough and healing. There's nothing that thrills us more. It was about six, no, about eight months ago, six, eight months ago, I remember we were doing a prayer line in church and one of our girls, um, our interns had come in. She'd really, really hurt her knee quite badly and she was in a brace and she was walking in a brace and she was limping and we were just praying for the sick and it was just one of those mornings where I says, God, like, come on, you have to do this. You know, I'll, I'll ask people to test it if you'll do it and we were just praying and um, we prayed for her and she says, I, something happening and I says okay then we'll keep praying we'll keep praying and then she takes her knee brace off she starts walking about the church and running about the church but you know what the best part of it was for me anyway it was happening here see on the first or second row there's Tasha and my kids and then behind her there's another family there's all these families and all these kids and all their eyes light up they say God's just healed somebody God's just touched somebody and I thought God our kids are going to grow up in this I'm going to make sure they're going to grow up in this we go to church and we see people healed. We go to church and we see. I remember we, used to, we, we, we led some youth stuff years and years ago. And at the end of meetings, all these young people come to the front. We're praying for the sick. And Joel was only three or four. And he just used to come and just look. He just used to come and watch. And then he used to go and just lie down and fall asleep somewhere in the meeting. And 
We want our kids to grow up in this atmosphere of miracles. We want our kids to grow up in this culture where we see this stuff, where we believe for this stuff, where we cry out to him in intercession for him to break through. And all of that, see, seeing the 5%, the 3%, the couple of percent of people getting healed more than what we used to. In In so many ways, it feels like the day of small things. But the day of small things always means that the day of big things is coming, doesn't it? It's, the, it's Elijah saying the cloud the size of the man's hand. It's Ezekiel standing and hearing the noise of the bones all rattling, rattling together. It's the signs of life. God is doing something. God is on the move. God is coming to us. So we come back to the story. Um, no, sorry, just before we come back to the story. Again, and this is where I'll stop talking about, this is some of my stuff of what I feel God is doing right across the church, right across our nation, uh, and globally what he's doing as well is that we carry, all of us, Grace Church as well, we carry in our churches and in our leadership, we carry promises, we carry prophecies, we carry expectations, we all carry things that God said he would do. And this is where I believe that we're at. We carry them as well. We carry all these prophetic words and all these things that we believe God said about us and God wants us. And I believe we carry them all in our spirit. But it's, like, it's, it's nearly like spiritual pregnancy. There has to be this point, and this is where I feel we're at with church and it needs to change. The waters need to break. The waters need to break so that God's new thing can come forward. The waters need to break, and the waters only break in intercession. The waters only break when we really get before him and we cry out for revival. We cry out for him to come and to change us and to change the communities that we live in. And as we just come back to the story, the story is about crying out to God and not giving up. And Jesus asked Bartimaeus a very simple question, what do you want me to do for you? I think it's the continual question that Jesus asks all of us all the time. What is it that you want? What do you want this morning? What's your one thing? Well, God, if you could do this one thing. And you'll not need to think hard about that. It just comes to your mind just like that. You know it. What is it that you want? As Jesus says, what is it that you want me to do for you? What is your greatest longing? And would we be willing to vocalize our need, our desperation? This story means so, so much to me means so much to me because the outcome of it is that the man gets physically healed. He gets his sight back. It's a story of compassion, that Jesus is so compassionate that they stop. Stop with this, this man and he will give him his sight back. I, I have carried and still carry the disappointments of so many times praying for people. So many times praying for people and not seeing them healed. I remember times being in Africa where people just come and they just place these children in my arms. And everything in my heart just wants God to heal them and touch them. And in those moments, it feels like the only thing that I do is love them. Because for some reason, they don't get, I carry all of those things. But I remember, and I'm encouraged by what John Wimber said, I would rather pray for a thousand people and see 999 not getting healed if God will just heal one than never to try. Than never to try. This man gets physically healed. And I think it's what God wants to do. I think that when Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, the fields are white on the harvest. Well, because, I suppose because we're, I, I'm from Pentecostal church as well, that we, that we believe, or we should anyway, the harvest, the harvest is made up of those who are lost. But the harvest is also made up of those who are sick who need the healing power of God. That's the harvest that he sees. 
He sees the people who are afflicted by the demonic. He sees the people who need physical healing, emotional healing, well-being. He sees all that's all of that makes up the harvest. That's what he sees. Physical healing. Stress, we see more and more deliverance and healing for stress-related issues as well. He threw aside his cloak. The identity of being a beggar had to leave. He he cast off his cloak. You'll read that in in, uh, the stories mentioned in, in Luke 18 as well. He says, I'm not a beggar anymore. He threw aside his cloak. His cloak was gone. He left it behind. The cloak could be anything for you and I. It could be the disappointment we've experienced. It could be people's criticism in the past. It could be the complaints. It could be the oppositions. It could be the arrows that have come against you. The cloak represents the hurt that you carry, the fear and the insecurity that you might carry. The cloak represents all of that, and it's heavy, and you don't need to carry it anymore. You need to, you need to cast it off. Cast off the cloak. And... As we sort of draw it all together, and as I pray for you just in a few moments, it's about vision as well. Here's what he says. The Lord says, then what do you want? He says, that I might receive my sight. That I might receive my sight. Some translations of it says that I might recover my sight. It kind of suggests that he, he possibly once saw, and then he lost the sight, that maybe, maybe he wasn't born blind. He could see at one point, and he's lost it. And this is what he says. He says, I need to see again. I need to see again. Now that's why I said to you earlier that when he received his sight, we could all do with that. Because spiritually, we all need to see again. Spiritually, we all need the Lord to come to us and touch our eyes and touch our spiritual eyesight that we might see again. That we might see God break through in ways that we've only ever dreamt of or heard of or read about. That we might see again. That spiritually we might see in a way that we never have. That we see God come to us and touch our spiritual sight. And touch our spiritual sight. That you and I might see. That vision might be restored. That vision might be restored to our community. That vision might be restored to our churches. That we should be people, I want to encourage you, I want to encourage the leadership here, that you dream and have big dreams, that you have big dreams for God about what God could do and what God would do in this community, in this area, in Rich Hill, in this county, that this is the day for having those kinds of visions, those kinds of dreams, that we need our spiritual sight restored, that we can see in the spirit, we need our horizon to go so much further than what it ever has before, we We need to really, really believe God. Really believe God. And we need to be courageous about it. So courageous about it. We'll not stop short of what God has asked for us. And we need to not fear having vision or a lie. Something happened to us a few few months ago. As you might know, in Portadown, we're we're trying to do a new building. And um, we're moving down to Watson Street, just opposite Asda there. And it's a big project. And... It costs a lot of money and um, all, all of those kinds of things. Now, we, we, have been, we have been criticized by people because of this. You know, it's too dear, it's too big, it's too this, it's too that. People criticize and people criticize and people says, that's awful nice of you to criticize us when you've nothing to do with it. But anyway, it's like, you know, it's, they criticized us for it. Fair enough. Say what you want to say. I'm, I'm thick-skinned enough to take that. Then one day, Joel, our, our boy, comes home from school and he he said something 
He says, some of my mates were talking in the playground and they, say, and they said something really bad about our church and about our new building. Like, and I, boy, then I get so angry about this. When I, like, oh, you know, like, devil, how dare you bring this in this school playground, confusing my son. All that. Well, I get so, so angry about this. So angry. And you know something? Looking back on it, you know what I missed? I missed this opportunity to sit my son down and say, Joel, do you know something? You should be really, really pleased that you go to a church where the leaders of that church have vision. You should be really pleased where you go to a church where they believe that they can reach the town and they can reach the community and they can reach the nation. You should be pleased that you go to a place where people have big vision. And I missed that opportunity to teach him that. Missed it. Because you know what I was doing? And this is my word for some of you as we come to an end. Do you know what I was doing? And the devil loves this. He loves it. It's one of his fortes of getting us. You know what? He, know what I, I was licking my wounds. Honestly, Satan encourages us to lick our wounds. He does. It is one of his spiritual strategies. Something happens in our life. He gets us to lick our wounds. Something rise up within us. Something has risen up within me that always should have been there. That says, you can say whatever you want about us. I will not apologize for having vision. We will not apologize for dreaming in God. We will not apologize for having something on our heart that is, that is maybe bigger than what we ever imagined before. We will not apologize for that. We will not be dictated to. We will not allow people's intimidation or people's words to come against us and try and shut us down. We will go. We will go. We will do it. We will, we will do all that we can to be what God has called us to be. We will not lick our wounds anymore. Can I encourage you, whatever it is you're facing, whatever you're going through, to not lick your wounds. To do something, like Bartimaeus could have, he could could have just licked it and he'd have missed his moment, missed his miracle, missed his breakthrough. He would have missed all of those things. He would have missed it. If he had just licked his wounds. Could we stand together, maybe as I pray for you? just as we take a moment in the Lord's presence if the Lord was to say to you what do you want me to do for you what is it that you would be asking him